Welcome to season two, episode 12 of Man of the Making, with former monk Rajan Shankara and special guest Ross Victory. It's great to have you on here, Ross. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you, Ross. Thank you, guys. It's awesome to, um, you know, connect and uh, kind of reflect on uh, what's going on right now. So for the listener's sake, I, uh, I don't know. Ross and I just have been talking a little bit back and forth through the last uh, six months or something. Just yeah. started on LinkedIn. And uh, personally, I was always impressed with the things that came out of Ross's uh, accounts, his mouth, his keyboard, whatever he was telling me. I was like, man, this guy's a thinker. He's great. <laughs> so uh, I was like, this is, this is going to be the first guy that we talk to on the podcast for sure. And well, we had, and then our first, I guess we had our first gal recently, but mm -hmm. you, are, you are the first guy. Nice. Nice. That's an honor. I'm honored to be here. <laughs> you know, actually when I saw your, um, when I saw your LinkedIn profile and it was like former monk of 12 years, I was like, what is happening in the world? That is just so <laughs> like, just in my, in my, uh, background. I just thought that that was, and I know it's your real life story, but I just thought that that was the coolest thing because it indicated um, just so much, you know, to be uh, a former monk and kind of go through that experience. I just thought that was amazing and so cool. Before we talk about what what you're doing in the professional world, all yeah. the wins that you're making in, in all various formats, which yeah. I love. Um, let's let's uh you know what no let's do that first and then we'll all talk about coronavirus okay okay so ross you're you're a you're an artist uh you make yeah. music you yes. write uh yeah start, so let's start with the uh let's start with the book okay yeah um so views from the cockpit is my first uh commercial book release so you know, like many writers and artists, I've been writing and creating for a very long time. But what um, kind of inspired that book was the loss of my dad now three years ago. And so wow. two years before that, yeah, I lost my older brother. And so something about his loss really, um, you know, and I've read about sons and them losing their fathers, but that really kind of... Um, yeah, called me to, and I asked people this question, are you the uh, passenger of someone else's dream or the captain of your life? And so that's kind of the question that I was really asked to look at. And so this book um, started out as just journal entries. So pretty much my dad was a victim of elder abuse in his last days. Um, and I discovered some of that and then I discovered even more after he passed away. So it just got really kind of crazy. So I was telling myself the actual story. And as I was writing these journals and just telling my, you know, first degree circle, people were like, this sounds like a movie. This sounds like a book. And I, you know, I was too emotionally attached to be able to catch, you know, yeah. the narrative of everything. But then as I continue to do my work, so I'm a big therapist person, you know, I'm a big coach person, I'm a big, you know, uh, float tank, massage, all that stuff I'm really in tune with. But as time went on, I was like, wow, this is a movie and there is a narrative. So my dad was, uh, um, he worked in law enforcement throughout his life. And then he retired as a cross-cultural missionary. So growing up, we had a lot of international people in our house. I was always going with him onto the missionary field, you know, just being exposed to culture. But he really um, was, he called himself a, a man of God, very, very religious. And I think the narrative was, how does one, you know, live their whole life like that and then not get the ending, not get a graceful ending? You would think if wow. you spend you know, 75 years, um, you know, preaching the word of Jesus and, you know, telling all these things, you know, you should, in my mind, I was like, oh, you should have a graceful ending. So anyway, you know, it called those ex uh, existential questions um, into light for me. And so I unpacked it for myself and then was able to 
put it into a narrative with the help of editors, you know, and all the, the people who are involved in, in book projects. Talk about and, turning struggle yeah. into, uh, you know, power. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was something else. And, you know, the moment I, you know, released it and wrote it, cause I told myself uh, before I even started, you know, I wanted to align, make sure my intentions were pure. What do you want to do with this? What, why are you doing this? What do you expect? And I said, you know, even if I just printed it and go through this process and put it on my shelf for myself, I would be okay. But then when I started talking to other people and, and like you just said, the whole um, pain into power piece, there's a lot of people, I mean, as you guys talk about weekly, there's a lot of people who struggle with that. And as you're working a coach, coach, I mean, you know that too. So yeah. it's like, how can I contribute in a meaningful way, even if it's just 100 people, whatever, 200 people, how can I contribute and show what worked for me and just tell people that, you know, there's no rules to this and your feelings are valid, you know, and your experience of the world is valid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. well put. That's well put. Yeah. How do, how do you, uh, what you got to do is, is almost like have a minute with someone to relieve the burden off their shoulders so they can see something clearly out of the fog of, of what they've been seeing. And then yeah. God, and, and when you see it in real life and, and you, you tell someone that they don't actually have to be stressed and full of anxiety and carry burdens with them, uh, it's an amazing uh, transformation right in front of your eyes. You see them lighten up a little bit. Yeah. And it's hard to, you know, and it's hard to hear that when you're in the midst of crisis, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it makes a difference when, you know, someone in your circle has been through it and they're telling you, you know, everything will calm, calm down. My therapist at the time or my counselor, I, I try to upgrade the word, my counselor at the time, she was like, you know, oh, you're uh brother and father they'll always be with you and I, and I couldn't even understand what that meant but after going through all that it's like wow now I get what that means yeah they're always with me they live within you know the book itself has a life of its own so I'm really in touch with all of that and it's unfortunate that death has to I mean a lot of people you know get in crisis for various ways but for me I, I think death uh, especially a family really uh, called me to kind of take account of um, kind of my life and what I want it to be and what, what I want to say and, you know, where I want to put my energy and all that. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you have any other siblings or did you lose your, your only brother? Yeah. So old, um, I have another brother and then a sister. So it's three of us. My dad had four of us. Okay. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. So, I mean, and, you know, and that's just more, you know, you got to live your life. You got to be kind of relentless with it. You know, there's a time clock yeah. to all of this, you know, it's a time limit. I like it. Relentless. Absolutely. My God. <laughs> yeah. you, have, you, 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 like, what's the alternative, right? And, the, and it, it's understandable to mourn and go through suffering, but for how long and, and what's What's the turning point out of someone's grief? Like, you've just got to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, you got to keep going. And I think, and my dad, he, he prepared us just over the years looking back. He, he was a writer himself, always emailing us passages. And, you know, he was very f philosophically inclined. So we would, you know, just get on the phone and just talk about ideas. You know, just literally talk an hour about an idea. So he was one of those types of people. But he, he even said, hey, you know, the world's not going to skip a beat, you know, when I leave, when you leave, when your mom leaves. So he already, he planted those seeds in our minds as kids just to kind of know, you know, don't uproot and stop your whole life because you don't, uh, because you lose someone. And so I think that's your idea that you kind of introduced me to this idea of dispassion or that word at least, right? It's yeah. kind of like um, being, yeah, just not attaching yourself too too deeply to stuff and i think to people too the uh well absolutely the uh the definition of the word in classical yoga scripture yeah. is to not uh to not lust over what is seen or heard hmm. okay so okay. the things people the things people say and uh the things that you come across with your vision uh, to to have a 
a natural uh, detachment and discrimination towards everything and, and determining if it's if it's valuable to um, obsess over or is it better to attain a uh, a detached perspective but also care about it so then we would call that affectionate detachment so affectionate detachment yeah 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 it's, it's, and that's just wise right isn't that just a wise thing to do and a wise way to be well i think so i mean it's so easy like look at um a lot of relationships uh i, mm -hmm. I deal with a lot of relationships and try to get people past being so attached to their significant other that they lose themselves in the process yeah. it's like you're actually causing more damage due to your insecurities and due to your attachments uh, than you realize. And once you let go, uh, it actually helps the relationship breathe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But that's tough when you're dealing with a family member and multiple family members. And my God, uh, I, I know. And it really calls, you know, and it calls, into question your belief system why oh, yeah. is this all happening you know all of that stuff you know is is the world good is it bad uh what happened to those joyous moments that you know when you look in the photo catalog and everyone's smiling and they can't even imagine the horror that waits 10 years later so i mean it is like that and i think i just understand just to kind of you know life is going to have a curveball at any moment so actually last december I was laid off from my job of four years randomly. So I had this year, I was like, I'm going to do all this personal development. Okay, I'm going to publish this book, get out there. And then at the end of the year, like three days before Christmas, my employer came in. They're like, oh, the 2020 budget isn't looking, you know, that great. So today's your last day. Thank you so much for your four years. Best of luck to you. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing now. But Another I mean, that, yeah, but isn't that the whole point? Like, that's the whole thing. It's like this stuff is going to happen randomly. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, the, the, that is the uh, Sisyphean task of life sometimes. It's, it's just pushing this rock up a hill, knowing mm -hmm. that suffering is, is, a, is a part of our experience and doing mm -hmm. it with a smile. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, yeah, I would just try to stay grounded, you know, try to do my um, internal work and be a conscious creator. And all of that, of course, is getting me closer to music. And so that's the whole ironic part is, you know, the more loss that I experience, the also the closer I feel to, yeah, just my contribution, my gifts, my creativity. So it's like, you know, and I think maybe you guys have said it on your podcast, but I've heard it a lot of places where, um, you know, you look at your worst moment and how does that end up being like one of your best moments or, you know, a positive moment. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's all in that um, kind of same breath. So, yeah, it's definitely an interesting journey for sure. Um, Rokas, you, have, you, have you ever experienced any kind of loss in the family? Um, yeah, so, oh, man, there are quite a few things I was thinking that for one, that was really captivating to listen to. Um, I'm inspired the way you dealt with those losses because I've had people around me who after losing loved ones have really gone down the opposite path um, going into yeah. self-harm and suicidal thoughts so yeah. yeah seeing the way you dealt with it it's like it's a, yeah it's amazing it's powerful yeah. Um, yeah powerful that's the word um as for loss I've lost my I lost my best friend he was 16 at the time this was four years ago um, wow. and that that messed me up quite a bit as well but i moved past that he's still with me as you said in my memory i still think about him um still remember him do you um, ever have um yeah. did do you ever have like and this may sound kind of uh crazy depending on where you're at but do you ever get like visits or have any kind of um like time where it feels like his spirits are no i've had okay. dreams with him okay but yeah that's the as in is that what you mean or do you mean more than that yeah i mean even just like a waking um a waking presence so you know you're like just awake and you feel a sense of 
his presence around you or in the same room. Have you experienced anything um, like that? I don't think so. Okay. We know Arajan, have you yeah. experienced that? Um, I can't say that I've lost, you know, to be honest, I don't think I've really lost anyone very close to me. You know, I've always kind of been a loner. Um, when, when the people that I remember that have died, I, uh, I've always just kind of been that uh, a bit of a renunciate and never been close. And then when they died, it was like, well, you know, how do, how do I, I guess I'm always trying to be the one who people can, can lean on. So I've never quite shown my, my, I've never lowered my defenses, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I was just at my, my, I did just lose my first cousin to a drinking and driving. She, she was, uh, had one too many, um, and then started to uh, ended up hitting a wall uh, on her way home. And I officiated the, um, uh, the funeral and, and gave a speech. Um, and that was probably one of the most difficult losses I've experienced. Yeah. But a part of me, so yeah, a part of me wanted to, break down a bit, but I, I held back. I just, you know, I, I guess in the position I was in, I had to be the one who was, had faith. So, yeah, you know, being in that position, it's a, it's a burden. It's a double-edged sword. You, you have courage, but you're also, um, you're also supposed to have the most amount of faith and lean on the teachings. That's who you lean on, like the teachings. You don't. Yeah. So that's that's the toughest part for me. Um, but I'll say this: you reminded me of uh, talking about like visits and stuff from uh, an astral world or from yeah. a spirit. Reminds me of two of my most favorite books that I've ever read, and I've <laughs> never talked about them actually till now. It's called, one is called uh, Journey of Souls and the other one is called Destiny of Souls. Mm. And the Destiny of Souls is a sequel. And I often uh, quote uh, Destiny of Souls at the end. Um, it's, it's a book about a past life regressionist who, so is everyone clear on like uh, regression therapy where you, you take someone into a past life and you know they're laying on the couch and uh you it's a hypnotic kind of therapy and then they might go into a reincarnated state where if they have pains or if they don't understand something about their current life it can be explained in a past life wow yeah on a on a therapeutic level wow yeah yeah so if someone has a lifelong pain in their arm a past life regressionist might be able to hypnotize them have them see a past life where they lost their arm. Amazing. Yeah. So I I don't know a lot about the field. And one of the monks introduced me to these, these two books and said, you know, you've got to read them. And I was, I was a young monk at the time and was kind of fearful of death and, and didn't quite understand a lot of that. And, um, one of the reasons, uh, a lot of people become, a monk is because of to understand death and to master that um that uh philosophy the philosophy of uh transcending the fear and being ready for it as so many philosophers and stoics uh preach all the time right that we all read about yeah um so this this book this guy while while being in a therapeutic practice accidentally took one of his patients in between lives and instead of successfully getting to the past life he he got he got the person stuck inside the world we go to after we die so instead of a past life regressionist he became an in-between life regressionist so 
there was there was now a concept of life after life for him and not life after death and so he started to do this to hundreds of people uh-huh. and he um he documented all of it and they're all trans and the books the, are just transcripts of the sessions and they all and all of the chapters are like a movie so it's like a, a section one chapter is a section of what happens directly after you die and a few patients will go through their experience and then another chapter is a ne- the next stage after that and what happened was they all started to say the same exact thing and so he could go into any transcript of any patient and end up reading uh, like an identical story of another one and wow so it's 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 fascinating to read but he he talked to get back to your your question Barocas, um <laughs> he gets to a point where uh he talks to someone who's um like pre-tunnel of light and so they all have this experience where they go through the tunnel of light it's like a giant sun they're greeted by people that they knew or don't know but they're loving like they have such a loving energy that they that they're they're mag they're magnetic so they're like i don't know what's going on but i know i want to follow this person because of because of how they feel and mm-hmm. uh it's, it's so amazing actually now that i think about it and we we will go over these during the podcast um so before that stage after someone leaves their body they have a moment where they they're around everyone or they can they can kind of be in uh, around the, someone who's thinking about them heavily in the in the immediate or the next few days because the time difference there's a time difference it seems and mm-hmm. um so they say that they say that you can connect with them if you uh, through shared objects, maybe something that they owned, um, something that they put their energy into. And so mm-hmm. one, one, one woman was saying that um, she had died in a past life and now she was in the world in between before the current life she was in. And so she was seeing this, this moment when she died and she's like, my husband is very sad. Um, he's standing by the fire and uh, I need to get his attention uh, to both look at this watch that I wore. And if he can look at that watch, then I can send him uh, uh, feelings of, of relief and love. Wow. And everything's going to be okay. And sure enough, uh, she kind of gets the point across to him enough. He looks at the watch and then she's like, she goes on to say, okay, he's, he's, he's feeling better now and he's understanding I'm speaking with him. So that's, I think um, that's something that I've never experienced, uh, but I'm not a very good example of that. I know, I know many people have experienced that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That sounds, I mean, your description, it sounds super comforting i mean who of course anyone who's lost someone would want any kind of manifestation like that when it happened to me for the first time and so i'm a really critical person you know i want evidence i want rational thought i want like things to make sense but i remember just being like how i am now very lucid you know it's um you know everything i'm not sleepy i'm not inebriated with anything and i literally felt a presence like come into my apartment and my hair on my arm raised. And I knew, and I just knew, because kind of like how you were saying about um, the watch and if if the lady could just send him a time. So this book, the title, Views from the Cockpit, when I was seven years old, one of our pastimes would be to go to LAX and watch uh, airplanes land and take off. Before my dad died, I asked him just straight in his face, I said, Dad, what is our what is our memory like our go-to memory in your perspective of your life in these 30 plus years and he said oh when i used to take you out to watch those airplanes land and take off so i said dad what if we agree in waking life that this is like this is how we connect with that memory so i don't know what's associated with the book or 
you know, that conversation with my dad or what I was doing at the time, I was probably working on some project, but he came, I felt like his presence came into my apartment and I knew he was there. And I was like, dad, this is scary. And I remember I told him, I was like, this is scary. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah, to actually experience it. And I think of myself as a very skeptical, critical person. So right, I right, don't know. Right. I don't know, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think you do know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, it's just like, I think it's real. We got to let people, yeah, just be on your journey to whatever your spiritual awakening is and whatever, you know, we, I guess just non-judgment, right? Just kind of live and explore and discover maybe. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's as you say, to be, to have used critical thinking, to understand that science has its purpose and not just to, to kind of jump on the bandwagon of any chakra balancing and, and stuff like that. But if you happen to karmically experience, you know, that which people are uh, postulating, then, then you, you just became um, a, a bit of proof for what, for what that is about. Um, and to deny that, I think would be the definition of cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. powerful. But Rokas, did you have, do you have anything before we go on to music? Um, it's a bit off topic, um, but it's to do with death. So what are your opinions on this? Um, let's say my bro, that uh, when I found out he died, I didn't feel any like remorse because I hadn't had any experience with, experiences with him. So there was nothing for me to be sad about. Whereas I really grieved my best friend's death. So it's the experiences you remember um, about the people that make you sad that they're gone, at least from my deductions. So is it, is it selfish to grieve the death of someone because it's you feeling sad about not being able to have any more experiences with them? Mm. Wow. Man. I love that. Rokas. Rokas, <laughs> come through with topic. the question. <laughs> I'm just wondering what are your opinions on that? Wow. Um, dang. And you know, someone did say... It, something to me where and you know this was an older person who had been through loss after loss after loss and they did say there is a level of you know those people they don't belong to us right their lives are not ours we're they're on a, a certain journey and for us to spend too much time wanting them to be in our life for us it's like okay so dad you were my wise counsel i miss you because now i have to be accountable yeah i i, I think i am i understanding your question right yeah yeah it's kind of like i miss you because you were my wise counsel in yeah. in my life yeah so those are really um you know um i think you bring up a really good point and there is a level of you kind of just got to let it go yeah they aren't here for you they're here on earth for their own journey and and that's that's it i don't know that's a deep question hmm. but I, people did yeah people did tell me that like hey um you know your dad he wasn't you know it's kind of selfish to kind of want to be sad you know for, uh, to be sad for them to be here for you you know yeah and i'll, I'll quote the stoics that says you know our our sadness revolves around us being ignorant about death and we are in, inferring that death is somehow bad and right. we don't actually know so if you if we were if we were under the uh, belief that that there was no death that the life moves on and just does something else and and could see that somehow then there really wouldn't be that that much room for uh grief yeah that's true. It also makes me think about the present moment too, because if you just really show gratitude in the present moment, you know, you won't have to be concerned about, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff maybe, right? So if you're at the moment? 
Yeah, just kind of like if you're not thinking about uh, death, if you're just present in the moment and just, you know, appreciating things as they are and as they um, come into your life, maybe you just won't. Uh, actually, no, that doesn't make sense. I'm just trying to figure I've out. I've heard that before. No, well, it I, makes sense. I kind of know what you mean, yeah. Well, yeah. You appreciate think, people. Yeah, Rush. To me, it makes sense because, it, but it, but there's a there's a twofold aspect to that and the other there's the present moment but then there's um philosophical beliefs so if, mm. if you have an internalized belief structure that says um you know something's not right about what's going on your present moment is going to be a bit um diluted with with a bit of a bit of past and, 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 and present instead of just present. So, yeah, but to, to, if you were really present in the moment, you would be in a, in a what, what, what uh, Eastern mystics would call Satchitananda. And that means mm. uh, bliss consciousness. And that's ultimately uh, the ideal present moment. That's what real being in the now would mean. Like you would be so, uh, infatuated with the miracle of of the actual present moment and everything that's around you, um, you're you're just a kind of absorbed in it. But that's difficult for people to get on that level because of of um, past conditioning, what they yeah. don't know, and, and things like that. And it kind of keeps them from truly enjoying the present moment. You know, like if we we use tactics to get away from the present moment um, every every moment in our lives almost you know just for me to want to have a cup cup of coffee means that there's a there's an idea in my mind that says having this cup of coffee changes my present reality and enhances it so mm. if i was deeply in a state of of now in the present moment without any adulteration I, I, there would be no desire to change to something else Hmm. so it's there needs to be a balance there, there need that we can't always be in this state of bliss uh as the monks would say you know you would never get anything done but uh, at the same time, yeah. you know we have to check ourselves and make sure that well we're not we're not we're not extending overextending ourselves to the point where all we want is variety and everything's got to be new and different hmm. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Ross, you create music. I've yeah. listened to this music and I like it. <laughs> Thanks. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, what did you say? Go, Look, go into that and 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 I, I admire your your ability to make uh, music videos in in garage in parking garages. Yeah, that is you know. Um, the music, when I was, I mean, I grew up just in music, you know, in kind of gospel churches, all this stuff. Of course, when I became of age, I just really wanted to get out of the church environment. But that musical background has been there, grew up like singing and making songs for um, classmates for competitions. And so maybe over 10 years ago, I moved to Korea for a period of time to do this work abroad program. And so I was interning in radio stations and music publishers. Nothing in that uh, musical space was um, kind of popping off for me. I couldn't find a job, you know, after graduation. So I said, you know what, let me just go to South Korea. Plus my parents were their marriage was falling apart at the time. I said, I have to get away from, you know, these crazy people and this crazy environment. And so I gave it up when I went to South Korea. But then when I came back, you know, and all this stuff with my brother and then finally my dad, um, and then this book, this book got me back into the studio because uh, I wanted to do an audio book. A man came up to my uh, festival table. He was like, you know, I can't read. I really like your, your book poster and, and, um, you know, it looks like there's a lot of good vibes coming from this table, but I can't read. So it's like, you know what, what if I just record this audiobook for the one person who's interested who can't read? So while I was recording this audiobook, you know, that really just got me back into the studio, you know, 
pre-Korea time and really reminded me how much I loved music. So I just been in there every other week before the coronavirus, just really, um, you know, getting beats and, and lyrics and, and, um, and just exploring. I, I love R&B and uh, just like easy listening. So there's a song on my Spotify called Savor the View, which really just talks about savoring moments with loved ones and, um, you know, our lives being a dimming flame. So it's really, you know, that kind of message. But I think I really uh, gravitate towards like R&B and stuff, but kind of like conscious R&B with lyrics that make sense and a little bit deeper than, you know, shaking your ass and that kind of stuff. So yeah, and so that's where my music has bring uh, brings me right now. And it's just been fun. And it's a creative release, you know, to get in there and just um, be therapeutic and and sing into a mic. All right, well, here we go. We got a few seconds of Savor the View. I want everyone to just get a bit of this. Hear you laughing. I can still feel the need to say your name. Savor the View. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that was with uh, Alicia Nicole, this artist in LA. Her name's Alicia Nicole. Also very serendipitous. And she was like, hey, I can sing. You need some backgrounds. And so, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the way that that song came about was just so fun. And it means so much to me. And, and you know, the message could be, spiritual it could be about love it could be about a, a loved one you know it's just there's no restrictions on the on the meeting so yeah thanks for playing that yeah man <laughs> that's awesome listening to that made me smile it's just yeah an uplifting mood it's it was great it was what yeah. back what you what like r&b used to be yeah back what it used to be yeah check it out uh roca savor the view it's really right, we'll just do. easy yeah, easy listening and close your eyes. Maybe if you have a sunset and some wine, it's one of those kind of songs, you know? I'm going to play it with my lady. There you go. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you can play. It can be romantic. Like, literally, we when we were writing it, I was like, how do you make this song just like, it can go romantic, it can go spiritual, it can go relationship, you know, platonic. What can we do? And so I think that... Um, it, it will be a nice um, date night for you, uh, Rajan. There we go. There we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> so before we got on the show, Rokas was explaining that his country, and now we're in coronavirus land, uh, yeah. his country had just shut down, uh, I believe. So it's Tuesday uh, right now. Is that effective tonight, Rokas? Um, I'll tell you the message right now. Uh, it was sent out to everyone. So from UK, Gov, coronavirus alert, no rules enforced now. You must stay at home. More info and exemptions at gov.co.uk, coronavirus. Stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. This was at 10.10 10 today, a.m. Okay, wow. so, uh, do you see any... Um, is there any kind of military or anything like national? Uh, no, this is a small town, so I doubt it would really be enforced that much, but I presume in London, uh, probably police would be patrolling. Just making mm. sure that people aren't going to parks and yeah. um, just coughing on each other and drinking out of each other's drinking vessels. The thing is, um, one of the rules <laughs> is you can go outside to exercise once per day. But I don't know how I that's regulated that. because, yeah, how do you know that that's really the only time going outside that day? Right, right, right. It, it's all it's all difficult to uh, in, uh, enforce unless there's uh, like a like a like. I think everyone really fears, and all the panic buying is behind the fear of martial law. I think that's what right. Yeah, what we see in the movies. If you open the door to your house, you will be shot or people will come in. I mean, um, yeah. the military enforcing you to stay in your home and there's tanks driving down your street. Oh, my goodness. 
when, when I don't think we've gotten there because this is not that kind of a situation. This is, uh, no. this is not a war with another country where it, there's going to be a bomb on us or something like that. And, but some countries yeah. have enforced it quite strictly. No, sure. Like Italy, right? Our police, police are actively keeping people inside. And you can't... Yeah, I, yeah, I think China did too. I think they're pretty uh, strict with their enforcement. I'm, they're pretty strict all around, I would say. Right? Yeah. yeah I heard UK... Well, UK was kind of late to the whole uh, shutdown, right? Yeah, Is that yeah. true? Yeah. yeah. Um, they were like it was only today that they actually shut down, and even closing down universities was maybe a few weeks after everyone else. So what everyone, about coffee shops, Rokas? Um, I believe those are closing down. Probably, yeah, from today. I'm presuming. Wow! So we we couldn't get coffee uh, here in San Jose for the last since last week, right? Oh wow! Something like that. Wow! I remember. Yeah. We had we went out for breakfast last week, and that was like the last day we could have done it. Wow. Yeah, L.A. is completely, I mean, I, I live um, near downtown L.A., and I mean, if you walk out there, there's no one on the streets. Um, it, it's nothing. No businesses are open. I mean, it's, it's really kind of, uh, it's, yeah, it's sad when you know how much, you know, life and bustling it used to be. Right. But yeah, maybe this will um, pass. It, I think it's challenging people's uh, attachments for sure. Mm-hmm. Ross, how are you doing with uh, staying inside your place? You know, I kind of like you, you know, I've been um, I've been through these periods in my time where I've been isolated. So I don't need <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's you know, it's not good or bad, but I don't need to like see someone's face every day i have my own um, little studio here so i mean i'm just doing my thing man i'm creating writing uh maybe i'll take a break walk around the block um a few days ago i took a five mile walk um just through koreatown so i think i'm pretty good i mean the food and the water situation i do kind of think about but i try to keep the news off and just you know do basics of drink water, breathe, right? Hey, whatever's going to happen, is going to happen. So exactly. exactly. <laughs> right. I that's mean, what I'm saying that's what I'm saying. Like, what can we really, what can we real? what can one person really do if something bad's going to happen to all of us? Right. And, and uh, so, and that's kind of a novel idea for people and it's a part of dispassion, but, um, uh, it's dispassion is not a new concept because what does every soldier do before going into um, a battle or even a small operation for a group of Navy SEALs in the middle of the night? Like they know they're walking into potential uh, tragedy, but yeah, they, they don't have a choice. They have to approach it with equanimity, with calm. And yeah, like that's what you do. So, and, and they're walking into to, to potential fatalities. Like, so even the worst case scenario um, can be approached with calm. Yeah, yeah. So people are like, well, you know, what about, and I, I can understand the argument, you know, um, lost my job, running out of food or no money, et cetera, et cetera. Things are getting really bad. It's like that, none of that is, is wrong. Like none of that is false. And that may yeah. be happening. However, you, you still control your level of reaction, your, your re- reactionary panic, your, your emotional outbursts, your ability to worry and fear and, uh, you know, uh, hide in a corner. You control all of these things, so you can approach it nobly or with courage, or you can you can bl- start blaming something and just get really, uh, you know, disembodied and just lose it. Yeah, and that's not writing it off at all. It's just kind of like being real. But I think you know your experience 
uh, being a monk, you know, and someone who's experienced losses and stuff. It's kind of like you get to a point to where you just understand that that's the only way that you can be. <laughs> you know what I mean? To what you I do, and it's weird yeah. because it is weird because people like, um, you know, even even at my my cousin's funeral, I'll I'll be open. Uh, people like wanted me to to break down. Like people people wanted me to be like them. Yeah. And I get that a lot. Um, and someone, you know, someone close to me said, you know, yeah, you 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 talk a good game, but but you're like you've never experienced this before you, you know you're going to uh have to grieve and yeah. i just i remained myself throughout all of it and i used the 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 teachings and i i don't i don't mean to come off cold i and, and i and i you know i don't mean to come off robotic but I've been ingrained with a certain type of teaching and it, it worked like the te- uh, the, the training did what it was supposed to do. And I'm, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm not saying any of the things I say are right or wrong. All I'm saying is those are the things that I have the ability to say and do. Yeah. And, and I you know, I- yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask a question about that. I don't know how much time because this question is um, something. I mean, you probably could go on a long time, but I'm wondering how has your reentry um, into all of this been after 12 years? Because when I try to think about it conceptually, you know, you you went and did that for 12 years. You learned all of those skills and then you come back to a place to where, you know, people are not spiritually aligned. People are not in touch with anything outside of, you know, Instagram. What has that reentry been like? Has it been shocking? Has it been traumatic? I mean, what is that like for you? Or is that too big of a question? Oh, and there is, there's an easy answer to that. It's, it's been two things, busy and fun. Oh, wow. Good. So I've been busy as hell uh, because it turns out everyone wants to know some level of dispassion. Everyone wants some level of mental peace. Yeah. And one of the things that draws, uh, people to me is the desire to get a little bit of that in their life and then it usually comes with the idea of well I know I won't be able to do uh, everything you know I won't be able to take everything the way you can take it but at least I can I can learn a little bit so I've I've had an an amazing time teaching that to people Hmm. Um, and then I've had fun because uh man, I get to like listen to any kind of music I want and like wear different ki- types of clothes and yeah. different shoes and, and just eat different things. And if I want to go down the street to buy some chocolate covered pretzels, I can. That's yeah, so it's freeing. Yeah. That's freedom is amazing. Wow. Freedom and, is awesome. And twelve years, I can't even imagine, you know how long that's been so yeah that's that's really cool and roca something i've been thinking about too how did you guys uh meet to start the man in making podcast i don't know if i know the answer to that um so it was a discord group um originally it was something so what was your reason for starting the group rush well we so uh Rokos considers himself like a like a, a student of, of of a group I started. And oh, nice, nice. Okay. In 2015, I started a I started to make an online presence by writing because I don't know why. Like I I had a um, a few poems that I had written, um, mm. and I found I I found a group uh, of like a ghosted group that was dying out on um, Reddit. And mm-hmm. it was 
just young guys who, who needed something to do in their life. They needed meaning. They needed purpose. They, they kind of suffered. Uh, they had different addictions and things like that. And mm-hmm. I was like, hey, well, okay, maybe I can help some people. So I start, started submitting my poems to this group. And people were like, uh, you know, fuck yeah. Like, can you write, can you write more? Can, and, and I was like, okay. And then all of a sudden, I started to have this little following. And I started my own uh, group. And uh, it ended up being about 500 active young guys and middle-aged guys who were learning disciplines on how to um how to live their life like adults instead of like stay in the in the mentality because no one was telling them no one was telling them that in order to feel better about themselves they had to actually make their bed and take a cold shower and do some work and get outside and go for a walk and experience nature. No one, no one was telling them these things. So, um, I, I started to tell them and Rokos is like a second or third generational yeah. experiencer of the this. Like the- last year, I think I joined up. Um, and, wow. and yeah, I touched base with the group, um, and, uh, just to check in, and then Rokos kind of like, because oh, yeah, you're, you're, the, like, you're the founder, dude. And I was like, you know, yeah. And it was like, well, let's, <laughs> we, should we record all this stuff? And, and you know, because that platform, that second or third generation platform on Discourse, I noticed wasn't, wasn't as, as um, epic as it used to be when, when I was involved. And so I was like, you know maybe we should get a podcast going. And it was originally going to be with like four or five guys, but they were all around the world. It was hard to coordinate times. And Rokas kind of grabbed, grabbed it and was like, here we go. Let's do it. We're going to use this platform at this time. Anyone else? Nice. And I was like, this is the guy to help me <laughs> with the podcast. Um, so Rokas wow. is, is the brains behind the, the way the back end works. And I, I just, uh, annoy people by talking way too much. <laughs> Rokas, do you think yeah. you'll ever, do you have any interest of um, becoming a monk? Um, I haven't thought about it, no. I know Raj has experienced it, so I can learn from his experiences instead of having to go through them myself. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. So in that way, yeah, I think. I, haven't I get that question a lot. Like, should I be a monk? And uh, from young guys, 18, 19, and um man that's a tough one you know because people ask me what i was thinking when i was 19 years old i wasn't i wasn't thinking a lot i i didn't have a plan except for when i learned something i learned everything i possibly can from it um yeah and i wasn't gonna half-ass it so yeah i had already started a business and I was, I was already successful in that world and, you know, having a, a cute girlfriend around wasn't tough either, but I was miserable, man. And well, I couldn't figure it out. And when, when this calling came up, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to give everything up and move and go to the jungle and just be this wandering monk dude. And I hadn't thought about the financial consequences of it failing. I hadn't thought about leaving family and, and possibly disrupting my life with them. Uh, I, I hadn't yeah. even, there was no, what if I fail? It's like, well, it doesn't matter. Cause I'm, I'm either doing this or I'm as good as dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. So hmm. to a lot of guys who want to do that, well, I don't, I can't say don't do it, but I recommend, um, really, really finding out if, if you want to give yourself to a teaching for 10, 10 years. And because really, you, you know, you should study something for about 10 years before you, before you, um, can call yourself, uh, you know, a teacher of it. And, you know, 
are, should you travel? I recommend that young guys actually leave where they're living because usually where they're living is, is no good for them. What they're doing is not working and they should leave the area that they're in and travel and see another culture and see a part of the world that they never have. Yeah. And so a lot of times you can, you can, um, you can, uh, transfer the desire to being a monk to, to figuring out that deep down someone just needs change hmm. and, and to learn something of benefit. And if that means joining a monastery, then there really should be a, a heavy religious aspect component because there was for me, um, when I, when I came upon the monastery, not only did I want to master meditation, but I wanted to surrender my existence for the sake of, um, a path. And that happened to be a religious one in, in Hinduism. So is that necessary for everyone? And that's the question that people need to ask themselves because if they become a monk, they're, they're not on the path to enlightenment. The path to enlightenment can happen in or outside of a monastery. You don't, yeah. you don't have to be inside of a monastery to learn meditation and master it. Absolutely not. What you do, what you go into a monastery and become a monk for is to sacrifice your life for the good of a religious body of people. So mm. it's, it's a selfless service um, to, to give up what you thought, you know, was important for, yeah. for people of that, of that following. And if that's not what you're trying to do, then you're not actually wanting to be a monk. So maybe you're, you're kind of like the, the first stop then for people who maybe have that question, they can speak to you first and, and find you first maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For some people I have been, and, and I actually talked to a young man who went into the monastery that I came from and he said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go to through the training that you did. Um, you know, do you have any advice? And I was like, well, you know, good luck. Most people don't make it past a few months. And, uh, <laughs> if you, if you really want it, you'll end up falling in love with Hinduism and, and wanting to, to, to sacrifice your life. And sure enough, you know, I think he had, I think he had maybe a, a month or two before he, he gave it quits, but, uh, it's, it's difficult you know, to be that, that stopping point, because at my age, I don't know if anyone could have told me, you know, you're insane. Um, no one, no one even did try to stop me. Now that I think about it, my mom, wow. was like, my mom was like, all right, well, good luck, you know, bring some sunscreen. And <laughs> hadn't your sister done it before? One of your family yeah. members done something similar before. My, both my sisters uh, left home to go to somewhere else in the world to learn something. So for, for my sister, Karen, she went to Europe and traveled all over Europe. My sister Rose went to Hawaii and then joined my sister in Europe. So they both had their, um, their adventures trying to find themselves. And, and my dad supported me. He, he said, you know, if you come to new Orleans with me after the hurricane, it was hurricane Katrina. So he said, here's, here's, here's what you'll do. Come to the lower ninth ward with me for a week and help clean up these homes from these uh, people. And then I'll buy your ticket to the jungle. Well, so I, I never got anyone saying, you know, the financial risk, you know, what are you going to do for school? And, and what are you going to do for work? And this and that. No one said anything about that. They were just like, yeah, good luck. I really hope you find yourself. Wow. And take some sunscreen. Yeah, and take some take some sunscreen, and then my mom helped me get into the monastery. Hmm. You know, I was they had kicked me out, and they denied my training. And she said, "Oh yeah, I think I heard you say that." Wow. So the very person who was like closest to me, you know, gave me the advice that eventually lost me for twelve years. Hmm. But I mean, you're helping. I mean, that's the whole thing. I think, you know, when we share our stories, because definitely your story stuck out to me. I was like, wow. And then as a life coach, who better to have life coaching someone than a former monk, right? I mean, it's all... That's what I'm trying to tell people, Ross. No, I mean, (laughs) 
it it all i think it's just all um it's all yeah connected all of our experiences are are valuable and informs um, what we do next you know books music coaching you know it's all there and i think we're in a position to speak about it you know you're absolutely right authentic place the truth is is that we all have this this journey that we experienced and and um you know anyone can everyone has something to share uh, but not a lot of people have the confidence to share it and put themselves out there they might feel like they're an imposter or something like that um so i i recommend that a lot of people can help other people with what they've gone through. Um, the, the key is to being genuine and not straying too far from your expertise. Yeah. So I recommend that people do put themselves out there as people that can help, but um, make sure that you've had sufficient training in what you're trying to teach. And if you were to give a, um, a public lecture, to a large audience, you should be able to speak three on three times more than you would for the speech. Yeah. So speak on what, speak only on what you know. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's, I think it's when, when I I see a lot of coaches that have good intentions, but they maybe just had some sort of like accident and, and they recovered and then they feel like they can help someone's marriage. And it's like, well, Uh you can help someone with accident trauma, but diving into someone's mind and relationship uh, and why their marriage is failing after four years is um, that's a, that's a different field. And um, so I recommend uh, finding out which market you're in and then finding the sub market and then creating a niche inside that sub market. So, um, like this guy with uh, past life regression that gets very specific. He's not going out there teaching people how to meditate. He's saying, if you want to go into a past life through hypnotherapy, well, I'm happy to do that for you. Anything else, yeah. I'm sure there's a, a coach or a therapist who can help you. And that's yeah. Important. So like know your lane. Yeah, know your lane. Know your blind spots. And yeah, that actually helps everybody, right? It helps your client. It helps your sure. yeah. It helps sure. your peers. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with me, um, since my training lasted so long and it was so, so thorough, we ended up diving into, uh, psychology of the mind. So once you have a to- totality, uh, once you have a picture of the totality of the mind, you can branch off into several different, uh, major themes of, uh, coaching um, and, and a life coach, I guess, defines that you can help someone with their entire life. And I actually um, needed help from my mentor, my business mentor, to help me realize that I could actually help with someone's business. However, once it goes beyond the person, um, like I can help someone's mentality and someone's someone's um, uh, life into starting a business and, and what to do, but into the specifics of the business, I would have to say, well, good luck. I can possibly refer you to someone who understands the nature of that business. I can only help you with, you know, the mentality behind who you are as a person and Mm -hmm. what that has to do with your business in in general. But down to the specifics, I'll say, no, I, I don't actually know anything about real estate, you know, best of luck to you. Right. Yeah, that's smart. It's like, hey, uh, don't know, gonna pass you on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can say, you know, I can tell you why, you know, you're depressed. Yeah. Hmm. Well. Rokas, anything there? Uh, nothing for me. The <laughs> Rokas is the uh, uh, the uh, laconic. Um, co-host so laconic means uh uh comes from the spartan uh world where the spartans never really said that much they they just were warriors and uh they were from a place called uh macedonia i think that's how you would say it and Hmm. they came up with the word um 
laconic. Laconic. The laconic warrior Rokas. Yeah, to be Spartan like. Like yeah. I think uh there's a there's a story that um uh a king uh, of another province was going to take over Sparta and he wrote them a letter. He said uh you know, if we happen to breach your walls, your your entire army is going to be killed uh and you have no chance. And the only thing they replied back with was the word if. <laughs> <laughs> if. Okay, I, I approve. Cool. <laughs> Laconic. I love that. I love that word. Laconic. <laughs> so that that's how the that's how that's how Rokas uh and I ended up forging this this duo um to create the podcast and then we started going over with uh you know just things that i had learned and think questions that he had for me but then we now season two we wanted to just cover famous works um and then i think i think what 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 i want to do now is do more things like this or i talk to amazing people like you um and just just cover as much as we can so i guess yeah i like i like the format i mean i like but i'm I'm one of those types of people i mean in college i love lectures and taking notes and you know looking up books and um you know blurbs from you know this ancient author and stuff so i I really like um yeah the philosophical type of lecture um format you know Mm -hmm. it's really cool yeah awesome Awesome. Well, we're all in this uh, quarantine lockdown together. (laughs) We're all quarantined. Yeah. (laughs) And um, yeah, it was, it was a pleasure. I mean, I think we did it. Yes. I appreciate um, the time and everything. And of course, connecting on social media and Rokas, I'll have to um, find you. I don't think. Instagram. I just got Rokas to go from a private account to a public account. <laughs> there we go. There you know? we go. Open uh, it up, Rokas. Open up the, <laughs> open up the followers. <laughs> Before we sign off, uh, Ross, it's time to – people need to type into Google where to find yeah. you. Let's roll with that. Yeah. So, Ross Victory. You know, I've only found one other Ross Victory who's in somewhere in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> And Ooh. he added me. He added me on LinkedIn. I almost flipped out. I was like, "No way!" <laughs> but, like, no way. But yeah. So Ross Victory um, on Instagram, Ross Victory official um, website, RossVictory.com, and I'm kind of active on Facebook, which is Ross Victory official, and then uh, LinkedIn, uh, Ross Victory on LinkedIn. Um, I'm just sharing more, you know, like articles and and business yeah. type things I yeah but Googled your name you're everywhere nice job yeah yeah oh you know that takes work right your seo <laughs> i mean it takes work but yeah everywhere good reads account spotify just ross victory you can find me and um I'd love to connect with you know anyone who's who's interested man let's 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 talk again like let's let's yeah. call let's call this we're gonna have a sequel to this show for sure for sure right. let's do it all right, thank guys. you for coming on here, Ross. Uh, thank you, and nice to meet you. And I hope you guys, uh, you know, stay safe out there and social distance and get some work done. Yeah, and thank you to listeners for um, just being dedicated so far in this young podcast. And if you have any questions, you could reach out to Raj at rajanchankara.com. Show notes or subjects and topics, whatever. Uh, and you can find more about me at rajanchankara.com. Um,